All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you joined us to worship today. We're going to dive right in. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16, or sorry, 14 and 15. Uh, as you're turning there, let me say happy Mother's Day to all our moms out there. Hope it's a great day for y'all. And um, if you're the cook in your house, you are not the cook today. Okay. Dads, kids, you're on the job. Uh, as I was preparing... As I was preparing, uh, Deacon and I spent a little time this morning. I was in last minute prep, but before I did that, we spent a little time doing Lego building, which I'm sure you guys have probably done a little bit of. So we love to build Legos, but the best part about any Lego project with Deacon is that you're never done until you've added weapons. And it doesn't matter if it's a house or if it's a car, or if it's a plane or whatever it is that you're building, you, it's not done until there are weapons on it. So this is our car this morning. We built it out. And then on the, on the end here, these are the weapons that Deacon decided had to be added in order for the, the car to be complete. And that made me think as we were doing that, I was kind of building the car and we were having fun doing that. And we we're just kind of adding random pieces here and there and just, you know, having a good time with it. And I realized that Deacon's a great example for what we're talking about in this series that we're studying on fear and how to fight against fear, that we're really not done with the job until we've taken up all the weapons that God has to give to us. So just like Deacon's Lego cars, let me encourage you as we're in this series, we're talking about 19 different ways that the scriptures give us to fight against fear. And please do make sure you know you're not done. You're not done until you've learned to take up all these weapons because you're gonna need them at different points. And remember what we said last week, that really, I mean, the ultimate reason why fear is a problem is not because it diminishes our quality of life, although it does. Uh, it's not because it's, it feels bad to wrestle with fear, although it does. The ultimate reason that fear is a problem is because it is the enemy of God glorifying faith. It prevents us from experiencing all that faith in Christ has for us. And that's what we want because it glorifies God when we experience by faith the things that he has for us, both in terms of who we grow to be in this process we call sanctification, right? Becoming like Christ, but also in terms of who we understand we are in him. None of that is possible without faith. And so we are looking to bolster faith and shrink fear because the two don't coexist. All right, so let's look then at the three weapons that we're gonna talk about today. We've talked about uh, the love of God in the first week. We talked about three more then the following week, uh, including fearing God himself and how that brings about holiness in our life. So here are the three we're gonna look at today. The first is growing in holiness. The second is growing in humility. And the third is understanding that fear doesn't accomplish anything useful, okay? So growing in holiness, growing in humility, understanding that our fear actually doesn't accomplish anything useful. Those are three weapons that the scripture invites us to take up to fight against fear. So let's look at the first one. The first one is growing in holiness. And I had you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If you're new to the scriptures, don't worry, we're gonna put the words on the screen so you can follow along. And here's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says in verse 14 and 15. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, so full stop there. These are gonna be really simple, short excerpts from scripture. They're gonna teach us some good things. So the first thing that I want you to notice there is that after that command to not be afraid and to not let your heart be troubled, essentially, the very next thing is that word, but, and essentially what we can learn from that is that what's gonna come after the but then is the opposite of what came before it, right? So don't do this, don't be afraid. So what are you gonna give me to help me not be afraid? And then Peter answers that question with, but 
rather than being afraid, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So in other words, honoring him as holy, whatever that means, which we'll explain in just a moment, whatever that means, it is a weapon. It is the opposite of living in and walking in fear. And so we want to learn to take that up then. So let's, let's examine what he means then. When Peter says, honor Christ the Lord as holy, we might be prone to think that what he means by that is simply think about him or acknowledge that he is holy, right? We recognize that he is perfectly morally pure, that there is no shade or hint of sin upon him uh, and there never will be. And that's good and it's right to acknowledge that. But I think Peter means something more than just recognize that Jesus himself is holy and that's how we honor him as holy. Rather, I think what he means is pursue growing in holiness ourselves and that's how we honor him. That's how we um, sort of give give glory to him and show that we are honoring him by, by pursuing growing in holiness ourselves. In other words, putting away sin and growing in righteousness. And here's why I say I think that's the case because the whole context of this verse, right, is that right before we saw the don't be afraid, but honor Christ as holy, right before that, what we saw was Peter kind of um, setting out the context of his argument, which was, it's better for you to suffer for righteousness sake than it is for sin. In other words, he's saying to these believers, I want you to learn to do what's right because it's better to do what's right. And if you're gonna suffer, suffer for having done that rather than suffer because you're being punished for something that you did that was wrong. So in other words, the whole idea is put your faith into action by choosing to pursue righteous behavior, right? So be righteous in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. That's kind of what Peter is getting at there. So that's why I think here when he says, honor Christ the Lord is holy, he doesn't just mean think about him as holy, but pursue it yourself. Pursue being holy yourself. So that's, that's the weapon he's giving us. Now, let's ask, how does that work? We're gonna ask this with every one of our weapons, right? How does that work practically? And let's, there's two ways that as you grow in holiness, it, it puts fear to death. It puts it away. It helps it shrink. Two ways that works. Number one is what we just saw Peter's whole argument was. If you are growing in holiness and putting away sin, then you have less things to worry about suffering the consequences of. In other words, I might suffer for the sake of righteousness, but it's justifiable if I'm walking in something or I've done something that's wrong for somebody to come along and say, you need to be punished for that. And so just at a very basic level, one of the arguments the scripture makes is that if there's less sin in your life, there's less things to worry about the consequences of. And having that sort of, uh, the absence of that in your life helps you experience peace, right? Not anxiety, not fear. So that's, I mean, at a very basic level, that's the first thing. And the second one is like it, but it's a little bit broader. The second way that holiness helps us grow uh, away from fear, out of fear, is that it creates a disposition of peace in our hearts and in our minds. Here's what I mean by that. When we walk in holiness, like when we're growing in it, the reality is we are experiencing more and more the kind of life that Christ died in order to give us, right? So he's gifted us his righteousness. It's ours if by faith, through faith, it's ours, but we have to then live that out and grow in holiness. And as we do, we're experiencing more and more of what Christ died to give us. And one of the things Christ died to give us is peace with God. And so we experience what that peace is like. You have it in Christ, even when you commit sin. Absolutely. You don't lose peace with God. You can't. But when you have it, how do you experience it? How do you taste it? Maybe that's the word we want to use here. How do you taste peace with God? You taste it by growing in holiness. And the more you grow in holiness, the more you taste the kind of life that is good and satisfying. Let me use an illustration to help us understand this, to help us visualize it, if you will. 
So Chris, can we see these all right, bud? All right, cool. I got the thumbs up. So two glasses of milk there. Uh, we're milk drinkers at the Thompson House. We enjoy it. And we particularly enjoy a good glass of chocolate milk, right? So imagine with me, if you will, because there's probably no food group better at helping us understand holiness than chocolate. Imagine that this is life and holiness being poured into that life, right? Now, man, a good glass of chocolate milk, like life tastes better when holiness is involved. That's, that's the argument I wanna make. Now, let's imagine the opposite of that, right? What would, the opposite of, what would the opposite of that be? It's not strawberry milk, I promise. Although if you're like me, strawberry milk, nasty, all right? So let's say that we take, this is dirt. I promise you it's not crushed up Oreos, it is dirt. Let's take that and let's put that into our milk, right? Now, the argument there, we'll mix that up too. Right, it just, it looks worse. It definitely tastes worse. Here's the point I want you to see, right? Is that life with holiness tastes better. It's just better. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a good glass of chocolate milk, right? So that's delicious. It tastes really good. But somewhere along the line, here's what I find as a pastor, okay? Somewhere along the line, a lot of us, a lot of us get convinced that this tastes better. I'm not sure how that happens. It happens because of some false promise, some idea of what we think life should be that's outside of what Christ has designed it for. And we end up drinking just dirt because we think it tastes better. In fact, the scriptures talk to this in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is talking to the people of Israel and he says, you have hewn out broken cisterns for yourself rather than drinking from the life-giving water of God. And that picture of hewing out um, cisterns is the idea of digging a hole in the ground and sticking your face to it to just suck up the last remnants of water that might be left in that, in that hole that you dug and your, your mouth gets caked with dirt and, and just covered in it because you imagine that's better. All the while, all the while there's a life being offered to you by God that is filled with life-giving, crystal clear, pure water. That's the picture Jeremiah paints. I'm using milk today because I want you to see that so many of us are drinking this when he's saying, if you would grow in holiness, and if you drink this, I promise you, fear will grow in your life. But if you'll drink this, you will find peace because pursuing or partaking of holiness creates a disposition in you, a strength in you, uh, an understanding of what it means that I have peace with God that you get to walk in. All right, so I hope that's helpful to you. I hope that's a helpful illustration. Now, let me ask the question, well, what do we do? So how do I grow in holiness? Because it's one thing for me to tell you, well, you need to grow in holiness. And if you'll grow in holiness, then it'll put, it'll put fear to death. But let's ask the question, how can I do that? So the first answer to that question is you need to seek out the Spirit's leading. So Romans chapter eight, verse 13 actually says this. It says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Now Romans chapter eight, the whole chapter is really about life in the Spirit, right? What does it look like to walk in the power of the Spirit of God and the purity of the Spirit of God? What does it look like to let the Spirit control my actions, my thinking, uh, my words? What does it look like to do that? And in that text, that verse 13 tells us that essentially it's by the Spirit's power, it's by surrendering to the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. In other words, it's through the Spirit's power that we grow in holiness because He's the one that purifies us. So what does that mean for us as believers? It means that we should make a regular habit of as we're in prayer, as we're seeking the Lord, to ask God to cause the Spirit to do its work in us. And 
can I just, I want to make that as simple as I possibly can. Would you make it your regular habit to say, God the Father, would you cause your spirit, who is fully God, to do his work in me and let me resist him in no way possible. And as you do that, you'll find that the Spirit's purifying work begins to ramp up in your life. So that's the first thing is that we seek the work of the Spirit to be active in us. Uh, and let me say this, um, as we're in this season, I was just thinking about this as I was preparing, is we're in this season where we're in our homes and we're not out amongst each other. We're not interacting as much. And, and when we do, it's on the phone or by FaceTime or uh, on Zoom or whatever it may be. Here's my concern. I've been thinking about you. I'm concerned that perhaps um, some of us are picking up old habits of sin because we think, well, no one's going to find out. Or perhaps because we're in a season of more isolation. And I just, I just know the seasons of isolation typically become seasons where we permit ourselves to walk in patterns that we shouldn't walk in. So here's my question for you. As you're in your homes, are you serving one another with love? I mean, going above and beyond in that, are you guarding your eyes and guarding your heart, guarding your mouth, the words that come out of it? I just wanna encourage you in this season, be vigilant, be vigilant. Because here's the reality. If you're vigilant to grow in holiness and to surrender to the power of the spirit, it will put fear to death in your hearts and in your minds. What a good gift that is. But the opposite of that is also true. If we don't grow in holiness, we will find that fear grows, right? So if I'm shrinking back in holiness, then fear has room to grow. And I, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to see fear growing in your life because you're choosing patterns of sin in your life in this moment that help facilitate fear. And I know, I know it's very easy to feel like, well, that thing I'm looking at or that thing I'm doing that perhaps no one's gonna find out about, that thing has nothing to do with fear. I wanna assure you that it does. There is no sin that grows in our life that does not lead to greater fear. And there is no possibility that you would grow in holiness. There is no possibility that you would grow in holiness and not find fear shrinking. That's the good promise of scripture. So I, I want you to, to take that to heart. All right, let me put these away. And let me say this now, uh, let's go to the second one, uh, growing in humility. So we're just gonna go one page over, 1 Peter chapter five now. So I'm just one page over in my Bible. You might have to flip the page. But the first weapon is growing in holiness. The second weapon is growing in humility. So look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. It says, humble yourselves. So that's going to be key, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's a great promise. But then look at what he says, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, Here's what Peter is saying. We could almost shrink that down. If we wanted to shrink down the argument, we could say, humble yourselves by casting your anxieties on God because he cares for you. So in other words, here's the weapon. The weapon is casting your anxieties on the Lord, right? It's casting, it's giving them to him. Now, let me make sure we understand what that word means because you might be thinking it kind of is like, um, like casting a fishing line, but that's not what the word really uh, alludes to here in the scripture. The word casting literally means to throw something down with conviction, right? And with conviction that you're not going to pick it back up again. So when it says cast all your anxieties or cast all your fears on God, because he cares for you, it's giving you a why you can do that. You can do that because he loves you. The thing we've talked about each week, right? He loves us so we can cast our anxieties. We can cast our fears upon him. But when we do that, it's not just a, 
I think I'll let you hold it for a while, Jesus. It's a, I'm throwing this down and I'm not picking it back up again. I'm doing it with conviction, right? I'm doing it with determination, with tenacity, and, and sort of with a, with a vehemence. I'm throwing down uh, this. That's what it means to cast that down. Now, what does humility have to do with that? Go back to the argument that the text is making. Humble yourself, it says, by essentially casting your anxieties on the Lord. So in other words, what it's saying is in order to do that work, that casting down of anxieties, which is not easy to do, but in order to do that work, you have to have the disposition, the character trait of holiness growing in you in order to do that. So the more we grow in holiness, I'm sorry, I I said it wrong. I went back to my last one, humility. The more we grow in humility, the more we are willing to cast our anxieties. So how does that work? Let's use another visual illustration here. So I grabbed a rock out of the backyard. Uh, and this, is, this thing's pretty heavy. It weighs about 25 pounds. Am I in frame with it, Chris? So I, I wrote something on it. I don't know if you can see it or not. Um, what I wrote is one of my fears. Uh, I wrote the fear, foolish leadership. So one of my great fears that I experience and have to kind of wrestle with God about and try and put, to, try and put it to rest uh, is that I would not lead us as a church with wisdom. Um, I have moments where I fear that I'm not going to have the wisdom that I need to lead us well uh, and to pastor well. I have fear sometimes that I'm going to get up here and have nothing to say to you, um, no insight from the scriptures. And I, you know, I can happily report that never happens because God's word is always true and because God is so good that he wants you to know his word and he's called me uh, to lead in that capacity. But nonetheless, when I'm honest, I recognize that I wrestle with that, right? And I recognize with this reality. So let's just imagine for a moment this rock, if somebody said to me, Trent, you need to carry this. You need to carry this rock, which, you know, represents my fear. You need to carry this for 100 miles. Well, you know, it weighs about 25 pounds. And there might be part of me that would think right at the outset, like, I can totally make it. You know, I can throw it on my shoulder. I can tuck it behind. Maybe I can even get a backpack and throw it in there. I can figure out a way to do it. And as long as I believe that I can carry this 100 miles, I'm probably going to try and do that. But it's not until I recognize there's no way that I could carry this, right? And some of us are tempted to think that we can carry our fears, that, it's, that we're strong enough. We can, we can traverse the distance we need to do. We can go through all of life and we can, we can manage it. We can handle it. But friends, here's what I want to tell you. Is that what the scripture is telling us, when it says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. And just think about that for a moment. It's not just saying throw them down. It's saying throw them down on him. In other words, he cares so much for you, he willingly will take the burden that you can throw down upon him and he will receive it and then bind it up so that you can no longer take it back up again. That's the gift. But as long as I think I can carry this, I'm probably going to try and do it myself. It's not until I understand that there's no possible way I can make this, you know, to use my illustration, I can't get 100 miles with this. It's too heavy, not gonna make it. But what if I knew that God was standing right there saying, I'll take it for you and I can cover the distance. What if I knew that? Then what would I do? I'd, I'd hand it to him, right? Like, I'm getting tired just holding it there for y'all for two minutes talking, right? And the thing I wanna say to you, friends, is this, is that God here in his word is telling you that he welcomes your rock. He gladly, to, you might even wanna go get a rock out of your backyard today and write your, one of your fears on it so that you can visually remember, God has said, I will take that. And here's why growing humility is necessary for fighting fear. Because 
once I recognize that I can't do it, then I'll give it to him to do. Then I will cast my anxieties upon him in such a way that I don't want to take them back up. That's what the scriptures are talking about when it's talking about this weapon of growing in humility. So then how do we do that? If that's how it works then, by growing in humility, I become willing to say, God, would you carry this rock for me? Well, how do I do it? <clears throat> Let me give you two ideas then, two just very practical ideas. The first thing I wanna encourage you is if you, in order to grow in humility, that's what we're aiming at. How do I grow in humility? The first thing I'll tell you is just start casting your fears upon Jesus. Just start offering them to him. I said at the beginning that you have to be humble in order to do that, right? But it's a cyclical thing because the reality is the more I do it, the more I take these fears and I say, they're yours, you take them, you deal with them. I gladly give them to you. The more I do that, that causes humility to grow. And that humility causes me to be willing to then relinquish more fears to him. So you see the cycle there. So the first thing is, I just would encourage you, don't sort of imagine, well, I've got to grow in humility up to a certain point, and then I'll start casting my anxieties on. Just start doing it. Just start saying to God, I want to cast my anxieties on you because you care for me. And as you begin to do that, tell him what they are. Speak to him in detail about them. But don't ever speak to him about them and then say, okay, you heard me, and now I'm going to take those with me as I leave. But rather, literally visualize that as you go to the Lord in prayer, I am leaving this with you and I'm not gonna take it out of this room. I'm not gonna take it out of this time with you because it's not mine. And you said you'll take it. Don't feel guilty leaving it there with him. Some of us who are so um, concerned with um, uh, inconveniencing others, I find that people with the gift of hospitality often, like if this is you, if you have the gift of hospitality, you never wanna inconvenience anybody. You love being the host, but you struggle to be hosted right? Um, if that's you and you're that type of person who, man, I just couldn't ever dream that I would ever inconvenience anybody, recognize you're going to have to sort of undo a little bit of that in order to get to that place where you recognize Jesus is not inconvenienced by you casting your anxieties on him. He wants you to do it. And as you do it, you honor him because you grow in humility and you show his greatness and his power and his strength. He is big enough to bear your rock, your burden, your fear. So I want to encourage you in that way. The second way that we can just practically grow in holiness is this. I'll encourage you in this way. Do more to serve others than your position in life requires of you. Here's what I mean by that. Let me say it again. Do more to serve others than your position in life requires of you. So you might be a parent, you might be a boss, you might be a teacher, you might be a friend, a teammate. Um, you know, you can, the list goes on, right? And every one of those positions comes with a certain responsibility. There's a certain amount of serving that has to be done because of that position that you hold, right? I want to encourage you. It's, it's, um, I'm not sure it causes us to grow in humility as much when we only do what's required of us because of a position that we happen to be in. But when we go above and beyond in service to our friends, to our life group members, to our teammates, when we look for ways to serve that aren't required of us, but we gladly take up, we will find that we grow in humility, right? Because then we're living out the reality of what Jesus taught us. And he said, the first will be last and the last will be first. Whoever would be greatest among you must be servant of all. So just begin to serve. Begin to look for acts small. I'm not talking about figuring out some grand act of service. I'm talking about the quietest, smallest, most daily kind of minutia way that you could possibly serve somebody. Find that and do it and you'll find that humility begins to grow. 
All right, so those are our first two weapons, growing in holiness, growing in humility. So let's look at our last one then. And this one is exceedingly practical. And it's a, it's a bit of a, if I'm honest, it maybe is a bit of a slap in the face. It's just purely this, understanding that my fear uh, doesn't accomplish anything useful. I love that Jesus gives us this weapon. Look at Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 26. Here's what they say. It says, Jesus speaking, says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, more val- are you not of more value than they? And then get this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his span to his span of life. Now, here's where Jesus starts in that text, right? He begins with these two things that we've sort of seen before. One, he begins with um, the, he, well, sorry, this part we haven't seen before, but he begins with these necessities that we have in life, like clothing, food, we need these things, right? And by beginning with those, Jesus is saying, look, if, if God is gonna provide these, then you don't have to worry these, you can provide everything that you need. So he's beginning with those very basic necessities to communicate that reality. But then the second thing he does is what we've seen before, which is to remind us of our value to God. It's what we just saw in casting our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. And Jesus is affirming what we saw last week and the week before. God loves us. He loves you. He values you. You're of more value than the sparrows. So if he provides for them, why wouldn't he provide for you? So here's the interesting thing. He's gonna build on that argument in the rest of this passage. But that verse 27 seems like a bit of an aside. It's not actually necessary to the argument he's making. He could continue to build on the idea, and he's going to actually, of the fact that we're valuable to God. And because we're valuable to him, he's gonna provide for us. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful. But he does this little side thing. And in doing it, he gives us one more weapon that he didn't have to give us in this context, but he clearly wants us to have. And what's that weapon? It's in verse 27 when he actually says, not only should you not be afraid because God values you and loves you, you should also not be afraid because you should recognize that your fear doesn't accomplish anything of use. And that's a really important reality to remember, right? When I think about that, when I go, oh, my fear doesn't accomplish anything of use. Here's the presumption that Jesus is making. He's presuming in what he said there that you and I are prone to think that by worrying and fretting over the details of life, we can make our life better or longer. And what Jesus is saying is neither of those things is true. It doesn't matter how much you fret, how much you ponder the details, how much you concern yourself with them, how much you try to control them. You can't actually do anything to make your life more, you know, ultimately qualitatively better or longer. You can't add a single hour, and we might even say a single minute or microsecond to your life. You don't have that kind of power and authority. You can't do that. So in other words, why worry if worry isn't gonna produce anything of value is sort of the argument that Jesus is making. Now, let me say there, there is a difference between being a detail-oriented person, that's good, right? Who thinks through the details versus a person who's so um, caught up in worrying and obsessing over the details that you can't be comfortable uh, sort of when those things are outside of your control. And I would imagine, I kind of presume that probably the difference there is whether I believe my constant attention to detail is what is keeping me safe and providing for me. If that's what I think, if I recognize it, and maybe to, to state that in reverse, 
if at any point I'm not the one controlling the details, I don't feel safe or I don't feel like I'm going to be provided for, that's probably a good hint to us that we are believing, that we are believing that we somehow um, are in charge of creating the kind of life that we are uh, in need of having in Christ. So Jesus is actually saying that that way of thinking, that way of believing that we can control our circumstances to such a degree that we're gonna experience a better qualitative life, that that actually robs us of life and joy. Not only does it not bring more joy, bring more confidence, bring more peace, it actually robs us of it when we, when we think that way. So I know we're dealing here with kind of a mindset, but it's really helpful that Jesus is just saying, look, you need to understand that your worry doesn't produce anything of value. So how does, this, how does that then work? How, I mean, pragmatically, how does it push back fear? This is actually among the most pragmatic things, we, and which is helpful for detail-oriented people, I think, because we like pragmatic things, right? So it's usually uh, just what those of us who fret over the details need is something pragmatic. And essentially, it comes down to this. If I know something doesn't accomplish anything useful, then I stop doing it, right? I mean, have you ever had this experience where you recognize this isn't useful. Why do I keep doing it over and over? Hopefully you've done that. Hopefully you don't just keep doing things that don't ultimately end up helping you. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my kids as it relates to this. We've had this conversation a lot in our house where uh, we say no to something as parents. And this probably applies to teenagers all the way down, right? Like kids, if, if your parents say no to something, your knee-jerk reaction often is to push back, right? Is to, is to argue about why their no is wrong. And what we try to say around our house all the time is that kind of arguing and pushback is never, ever going to produce anything good. You might get a better result if you said, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, yes, sir, or no, sir, or sorry, it would just, in that case, it would just be yes, sir, <laughs> or yes, ma'am, right? You might get a better result if you just say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, could I discuss this with you a little bit? Because I, I wanted to share a thought or two. If you come to us in that direction, it's gonna work a lot better for you. And here's the reality, here's the reality. Even if the answer is still no to that thing, kids, at the end of the day, you are opening the door for future yeses by showing respect and by honoring your parents. There is no value. Now I know this is hard, this is hard to understand, right? Because we typically feel like, no, I should argue my case. I should make the case for what it is that I want. But I'll tell you, you are much better served. It's pointless to do that. And it's much better to give that yes. Now, I'd love to talk more about that. And that's going to produce more fruit. Whether it's a helpful illustration or not for you, the point I want to make sure that you get is this, is that Jesus is trying to make the argument that by worrying, we're not producing anything of value, right? So why do it? Why not put it down? Now, again, it's a mindset, but it helps me to remember if something's not actually producing a good result, then I should stop doing it. All right, the second way that it works, the second way that pushes back fear is what we just saw in the, in the section above or the thing we talked about before, which is humility, right? If I recognize that I actually don't have the power to add a single day to my life, a single hour to my life, as Jesus is saying here, that what, what that forces me to do is to grow in humility. And we've already seen that humility pushes back fear or puts away fear. So this is almost downstream from the humility piece because once I recognize that I can't actually, I don't have the power to do uh, what it is Jesus is saying, you know, I can't do here. When I see that and understand it, it causes me to grow in recognition of who he is and who I am in light of him. My lack of power actually, which causes me to grow in humility. So that's two practical ways that works. And then I'll just simply give this uh, tip in terms of, well, how do we do it? How do we actually then 
sort of take up that mindset. And I'll just encourage you with this. Have someone in your life who has permission to say to you at the moment that you're kind of spinning in fear, not, a, not just in your calm moments, those are the easy times to hear it, but give somebody in your life, a good friend, maybe a family member, give them permission to when you're spinning and you're feeling fearful and you're worrying, you're kind of getting wrapped up in that, give them permission to just ask a very simple question of you. Is the mindset that you're operating from right now helping you believe God loves you and helping you go forward in what God wants you to do? Just that question. I find that to be really helpful in my own life when I'm kind of getting caught up. If someone can just sort of stop and say, is the mindset that you're operating out of right now helping you trust that God loves you and helping you move forward in obedience to what God is asking you to do. So that's, that's my practical uh, tip there on that. Now, let me go all the way back to the Lego car. Friends, if fear is the enemy of God glorifying faith, right, then we need to take up the weapon. So I hope that you are building out sort of your Lego car, if you will, with me and adding more of these weapons on each week. We're just gonna keep adding them on so that we can grow. We can grow in faith and see uh, fear shrink. Hope you find that really helpful, all right? Let me pray for us and we'll join together in worship. Lord, thank you for my church family. I, I can picture them in their homes now. I can see them there. And my prayer is that you, Holy Spirit, would be moving and doing your work in and among them. Thank you that even though I can't be with them, you are with them. And you are the one who brings about greater holiness in our lives. And you bring about humility in our lives. And you teach us about our powerlessness to even add a single day or a single hour to the span of our lives so that we would surrender to you. And I pray that that would be the case for each one of us. Thank you that as we do those things, the, one of the benefits of it is that fear shrinks in our life. And so I pray that you teach us how to take up these weapons by your power and in your love. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Stop. <laughs>